0: We're going to school today, we're talking college baseball with the National Player Development Manager, Andrew Riddell. Andrew, good morning, welcome.
1: Hello mate, thanks very much for having me, been listening keenly the past few weeks so it's good to get on and have a chat with you.
0: Well yeah, I did hit the record button, got your title right, so we're heading in the right direction here which is a, a very positive for me. Um, yeah, so the thing that's been pretty interesting in the last couple of years is um, the number of minor league teams and therefore the number of minor league baseball opportunities has reduced and with that there's been less or it seems like there's been less players signing out of australia so then a really viable option becomes young australian baseball players taking a crack at college baseball so i thought um it'd be really interesting to pick it apart and sort of get your insights into how uh, Baseball Australia is really trying to facilitate another opportunity or another uh, avenue for young players. So how long has your role existed and kind of what does it entail?
1: Yeah, so I came back from the US last July. Um, obviously with COVID and everything that went on, um, there became the opportunity arose to be able to come home and kind of start the start the position with Baseball Australia, Um, the Australian Institute of Sport, had obviously, with it becoming an Olympic sport again and things like that, was starting to reinvest more money into the sport, um, which allowed my position to become available. So when the idea was floated a couple of years back through our now CEO, Glenn Williams, when he was in the high performance manager role with Baseball Australia, um, obviously we were in discussions while I was over in the US and then I was working with USA Baseball in their... um, Prospect Development Pipeline. So as I was building experience, I guess, with them and working with the top guys in the country over there, um, we were kind of having chats off to the side around being able to come back and provide some opportunities for Australian kids, whether it be information or resources or facilitating uh, college programs, like you said. Um, It was definitely something that I always wanted to do after going through the college system myself and then being able to come back and help as many kids as I can while also running our national camps and and picking the national junior squad that's just come out and and things like that so it's been really good being able to come back and meet with families and meet with players alike and get to pass on the information that i've kind of built up since i went over in 2012 so to be able to give everybody i guess the information on college junior college going to university as well as then what it leads to with with getting drafted or signing as an international free agent or guess all the interests that come with it. Um, there's a, there's a lot to it. So being able to pass on as much as I can has been great. So you were living in
0: the US from 2012 to
1: 2020? Yeah, so I committed to a junior college in 2012 and then I went over August 2013 um, and then was over there until July last year. I ended up coming back to the middle of last year when COVID hit.
0: Well, you score an Australian pitching development bonus point for not picking up a trace of an American accent, Matt. I respect that. That is um, that is phenomenal. You are up there with Peter Moylan um, as Aussies who spent a lot of time in Australia uh, in the US and didn't get an accent. So, well done. Um, what was your uh, What was your college experience like? How did you end up in the US playing college baseball?
1: Yeah, so when I was in year 12, um, I grew up in Sydney. So when I was in year 12, I knew I wanted to go overseas. I knew I wanted to go to college and probably didn't have the staff or the velocity to, to sign. So we went. I went to the national championships um, my under-18s year in January and we ended up winning the national championship and I got to start the championship game and things like that. So it was at an okay level to be able to then kind of put some video together Um, to be able to send off to colleges. So I did it all myself when I was in year 12. I put up YouTube videos back then and I sent out over 250 emails to junior colleges in the US. Um, And from there, I kind of had some conversations with some coaches and ended up committing to Dodge City Community College, which is in Kansas, a little tiny town in the middle of nowhere, Kansas, from Sydney, Australia. It was a huge reality shock. Um, so jumped on the plane and headed over, was over there for two years. My second year, we were, um, lucky enough, we got to go to the junior college World series. So I think that opened a lot of doors to then obviously getting recruited by universities and things like that. And then from there, I transferred to the university of Nebraska at Kearney, which is the state above Kansas in, in Nebraska. Um, obviously still in the Midwest and, and still in a cold state, but I ended up loving, the Midwest and the people over there and the hospitality that they bring. So ended up committing to to there and was there for the next three years. Um, Played there, had a shoulder reconstruction, so spent an extra year there as well. And then when I graduated, I was offered a job to be a graduate assistant over there um, in the International Student Services Department. So helping out all the new international students with their visas and their dorms and getting them situated and kind of helping them through the process as they transitioned to a new country. Um, I did that for two years while I worked on my master's. And then when I finished that, I ended up with a position with USA Baseball, like I said, um, working with their top tier prospects um, as they went through their under 18 selection process and things like that. And then got to go up to the Cape Cod League and run some assessments on uh, physical assessments on the guys up there, um, put them through all drills and, got their metrics and things like that um and then was able to go to the under 18s camp and kind of do all the behind the scenes stuff for them there run the data and the technology side of things as well um and then after that kind of said what's next um and i think that's when the position came back in australia and and i jumped at it to be able to come home after after seven or eight years overseas and be able to take what i've done over there and kind of apply it back over here
0: So. The, very much a do-it-yourself, uh, get-to-the-US-and-play-college-baseball approach. Of the 250 emails you sent out, how many nibbles did you get?
1: Uh, less than 10. I think it was about six or seven. Yep. So, And that was that was just responses. That wasn't even offers. Yeah. So definitely not a good strike rate. And um, at the end of the day, from those six or seven, there was probably – three or four legitimate offers, I would say. Um, So out of those 250 emails, I think there was probably, yeah, three or four offers that came from it.
0: And how did you land up on Dodge?
1: Um, Yeah, so I was originally going to commit to a school in Texas and then got the email through from the coaching staff at Dodge City and the the head coach, Phil Stevenson, was an ex-big leaguer and he was voted one of the three best college baseball players to ever live and the resume went on. Um, and I really got along with the pitching coach there as well who was recruiting me at the time. So uh, after conversations with them, I kind of looked at their background and how they had pushed players onto universities and the contacts that they might have. So kind of made my decision from having a connection with the pitching coach, which is why I was going over there, and then also the head coach knowing a lot of people in baseball in the U.S., I thought it would be a good opportunity to get under him to then be able to move on to a university after junior college.
0: And describe the town so you, you as you said as a culture shock coming from Sydney to this town kind of give us give us what are the highlights
1: um, I think getting off the plane into a little town in the middle of Kansas I got off the plane and the big sign above the airport said home of the wild wild West and I kind of thought to myself I'm a long way from Sydney Australia here um, so I, that was my kind of welcoming I guess and then you walk through and there's guys with cowboy hats and cowboy boots and things like that as you're walking through town and rocked up to my dorm. Um, would have been similar similar to what I had pictured in my head of a jail cell being back then. <laughs> um, and that was kind of my introduction to, to college.
0: Yeah, good. Um, the That kind of sparseness of... Um, Facilities, though, can often be a good thing. Well, like, what the can you just describe that program? Like, how many games did you play in the fall? So, just for, for people probably less aware, most of the time you'd show up for school, which starts around August. You, the baseball programs do what is called fall ball, which is you play through their autumn, where it's an opportunity for the coaches to evaluate who they've got and the makeup of the team um that can be different in junior college typically there's less restrictions so you can play a ton of games in in um four years schools the restrictions get a little tighter and the hours of contact become limited then you go into the winter period which must be amazing in the midwest because you often show up when it's oppressive heat and then the winters it snows and it's freezing cold and then through the winter you roll into spring which is when the season starts so how many you know you get off the plane from sydney um you know, you've played at a reasonably high level in Australia, so you probably, I don't know, maybe played 50 games a year, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, and then you roll into fall ball and and then into the actual season. Like, what was that, what was the baseball program like at a junior college in your experience?
1: Yeah, um, obviously, yeah, as you said, got there in August. Um, As soon as school started, our coach wanted to see what our team was like, so as soon as as soon as we got there, we had been informed before we showed up on campus on the first day to, to be ready, to have our arm in shape, to be ready for games and things like that. Um, the first week that we were there, we played three games. Um, he just split us up into two teams and we just went at it the first the first three days that we were there so he could get a baseline, I guess, of where we were at. Um, and then after that, we kind of, as you said, got into the fall, which is a lot of off-season work and the coaching staff figuring out the talent level and um, his roster and, and who's going to be starting, starters and things like that. So we went through that from August to about October before, like you said, it gets too cold. Um, during four ball, there's, there's less restrictions than universities, as you touched on. So most weekends we were traveling to a different junior college in Kansas or they were coming to us. Um, and we would play 21 straight innings. So whether it be on a Saturday whether, whether it be on a Saturday or a Sunday, he'd split us up into three, three starting teams. Um, and we would play three lots of seven innings and the new line, batting lineup would roll over in the, the eighth inning and, and after the next seven innings from that. So we knew what the day we were pitching and, and the two or three innings that we were going to throw throughout that day. But I mean, we just went at it. For, it was like six hours. So I mean, whether it be a Saturday or a Sunday, however long it took to get 21 innings in, um, we just we just went at it for that weekend. And I mean, by the, by the end of it, you you get on a bus at six a.m. to go to a, to go to a school, and first pitch is at eight thirty or nine a.m. Whatever it is, and then you get to five o'clock in the afternoon, and you're still sitting in the dugout trying to get through everybody's reps and things like that. Um, it can it can be pretty. It can be a pretty long day there in the fall. Um, the
0: I ask this question of everyone who sort of gets to the US, but how ready were you? Like most people think, you know, I'm in shape, I've been working out, I've been doing these things, but how ready were you physically and mentally for this kind of grind?
1: Yeah, I was about, well, I've, all, I've always been tall, So I was about six five, and I reckon I weighed about 80 kilos um, when I first got over there. So I think the... The biggest thing that a lot of our guys find and, and still to this day, we, we go over whether it's signing professionally or, or going to college. And I think from a strength and conditioning side, some of our bodies aren't ready. Um, oh, I, I know mine definitely wasn't. So you get over there and we had, we had Tuesday, Thursday, 5 a.m. workouts and then we work out on a weekend as well. So from that act, I wish that I had done more in. I kind of guess from year 12 onwards, especially when I graduated year 12, you kind of have that layoff period from when you graduate until the August of when you go over. Um, and I wish I looking back that I'd used that to to kind of get in the gym a lot more. Um, I think I was so, so kind of focused on being on a mound and trying to learn, my different pitches or locations or working counts or things like that and i didn't really take the time off the field to to get into a gym properly and focus on my nutrition and workouts and things like that so looking back that's probably the biggest thing um that i try and pass on to to kids even now as well is about having our bodies ready before we go over because when you're playing in, you're training every day and then you're playing on the weekends and by the time we get to february to may when the season starts in the spring we're playing over 50 games in a four-month period we were playing two seven inning games on a wednesday at seven and a nine on a saturday and a seven and a nine on a sunday well if your body's not in shape there's no way that it's going to handle the vigor of all of that throughout the season across multiple months so obviously you have august to december to, to try and build up to that but if we can get a, a solid base before we even get over there, it's going to be beneficial for everybody. Mm.
0: So academically, um, you know, you were, you went from high school, year 12 to college. What what were you expecting academically?
1: Uh, it's a good question because I really wasn't sure, to be honest with you. Back then there wasn't really that much information around on kind of what it was going to be like. Um I was I was always somebody that I never I never struggled in a classroom when I was in high school in Australia it was never really um, too, too big of a problem but I never really under I never really understood the American academic side of things or what I was walking into so it was kind of just show up on the first day um, meet your meet your academic advisor and then they enroll you in classes and then, Back then, it was like, oh, well, I'm only taking five classes. Is this all I do for the whole semester? You know what I mean? So I went went through that and, and got my classes and, and showed up on the first day. And then I walk in and I'm doing American history and geography of America. So I'm sitting in class and I'm like, oh, I have no idea what's going on here. And then you have to try and learn all the U.S. states and all this or everything else for for a class. And everybody else in the classroom knows it like the back of their hand. So it's like, like knowing the States in Australia. So that was kind of my, my welcoming, I guess, to the academic side of things was, okay, there's gonna be some classes that might be a little bit trickier than others. Obviously English and, English and math and things like that are, are pretty, pretty straightforward and kind of the same, but there are gonna be some classes that are gonna be a little bit different. So didn't know what to expect academically. Um, I think being at a junior college, I kind of got eased into it. Obviously, with the academic level at a junior college, probably being lower than at at a university, you can kind of work your way into it. Um, But, yeah, there's definitely some some classes that that I took that I really needed to work on and and spend extra time on outside the classroom.
0: When I went to college in the mid to late 90s, this is going to be hard for a lot of people to to believe, but email wasn't a big thing. So I showed up Mm -hmm. and... Everything was done by postal mail and no one had sent me, I just didn't, hadn't received it. Um, any information about credits and I'd done a couple of years of university before I left. So I showed up there and I was not a big fan of the course that I'd chosen in Australia and um, showed up there with my paper transcripts, walked into an academic advisor's office and said, look, I need academic advice, handed her my transcript. She just stared at me and said, we've never dealt with this before. I was like, oh.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And she she sort of spent about a week on it and handed me back like this college version of my grades. And I, I, I would like to think of a reasonably intelligent bloke, but I put the bare minimum of effort into my Australian uni degree. And she handed me back uh, an academic transcript that had me at a 3.75 GPA, which is high B, bordering A, which is nowhere near where I was in Australia. And also had wiped out my entire major. So I have this psychology degree, which to all the listeners out there, I don't practice psychology, so um, no one's in any sort of trouble. But my psychology degree is probably not worth the paper it's printed on because she couldn't figure out how to calculate the uh, the, the transfer of credits. So then I ended up – I spent the rest of my time in college doing um, techniques of relaxation, walking and jogging, nutrition – and all the courses that I kind of liked. It was a, it was a good uh, turnout for me. I don't think it would happen ever again, but, yeah, that's one of the advantages of going um, in the Stone Ages um, to college where they couldn't figure out the the transfer of grades. But enough about my um, bogus degree. So I guess the bit that I um, wanted to get into next is why college baseball for Australians? Like it was always sign a pro deal um, and college was – much a secondary thing what why why is baseball australia really interested in this as an avenue for for players
1: yeah really it's a really good question and i think um it's the easy way out to just blame it on COVID and and say that that that's kind of cost minor league teams um and and there's not as many opportunities and and things like that but i think australians have always kind of firstly touched on sending guys to college and and have i think it's just become more of an avenue recently um with with more guys i guess seeing the advantages of it um i think myself i'm a huge advocator for for college baseball and the experience that it gives you um i think that we're always going to have australians that sign professional contracts on the top tier end um and i think that the next that like like we touched on before with the strength and conditioning side and a lot of guys not being ready I think there's a there's a tier two or or a tier three player that kind of gets missed or may have been missed in past years um, due to being undersized and underdeveloped as a 16 to 18 year old in Australia they don't receive the professional interest as much as other players and they kind of just don't have another avenue or don't feel like there's there's any more growth so I think the the kind of new way of thinking or the way that I think is if we can kind of target these players in Australia that are competing at a high level they're competing at national championships they're putting up good numbers here in in the country and they have good projectables as they like to call it Um, if we can kind of target some of those players and help push them into college programs, it gives them another three or four years to be able to then further their body and develop and mature and things like that before, you know what I mean, signing a contract might not have been a reality. Well, after a few years of growth and competing in the US against that kind of caliber player and working out and training every day, now signing a professional contract might be a realistic, realistic thing. So... You've seen it, obviously, with Liam Spence and has been on this podcast. It's probably the, the prime example at the moment of somebody who didn't have the professional interest out of high school and, and went the college route and, and kind of ended up being a, a high draft pick. So the more that we can kind of help facilitate opportunities for players who might not be receiving contract offers as a 16-year-old boom player in Australia... Um, it's going to help us in the long run. It's going to help the, the ABL in the long run by filtering guys back in. And it's going to help our push for trying to win a medal in 2028 when we're back in the Olympics. So um, I think it all works hand in hand as, as we as we start to, to work further down the age group is helping players get into programs, pushing them back into the ABL and then strengthening obviously our national team.
0: I think you really kind of wrapped that up neatly. I, th- I think one bit that I've spoken about before, but I suppose you be- become a you become a parent and you start looking at your kids, like our kids don't leave home, you know, when they graduate high school. And and because of that, they still rely on, well, you know, in, in a lot of instances, who's cooking for me, who's doing the cleaning, how do I, they haven't, they don't have to learn how to do things themselves as early as some other kids. And that's part of the challenge of you're 17, go. you just signed a pro deal, go figure it out yourself. And by the way, you are competing for a job every single day. That's where college baseball can be, you know, a nice transition, and I, anytime I've chatted to someone about playing college baseball, I just, I'm like, make sure you stay in the dorms the first year at least, because A, you'll make friends that you'll have probably forever, B, you probably stay with guys on the team, so that that just cements that, and C, you'll get meals supplied, and um, you know, you, you'll... It's just an easier way to kind of get used to living away from home and away from your support structures, which makes the transition a little easier uh, along the way as well. So, I, I mm-hmm. you know, you're obviously an advocate. I kind of believe in it pretty heavily as well. And also, you might be able to get a degree out of the whole thing. So, if baseball doesn't pan out, you've got something that – you can use in the future, unless it's like my paper thin degree, which case you can't. But um, you know, you're kind of giving yourself a couple of fallback plans as well, which is um, always good to have.
1: The yeah, um, absolutely, and I think uh, I think at the moment too. Just touching on that, at the end of the day, point zero one percent of baseball players are going to make it to the big leagues, right, and may actually make a living out of it. So, at the end of the day, to be able to set yourself up for the future and, and things like that, if we can. Come back to Australia with a degree, or, or even find a find a job over there after baseball's done. The so the I guess experiences you go through through college will then allow you to, to be set up for the rest of your life. And I think with the with the low number of players being able to make an actual living out of baseball and make it to the big leagues and things like that, the the fallback plan needs to be in place from a young age. And I think obviously having a degree and going to college kind of sets you up for that.
0: So I'm going to throw you just probably there's a bit of a college baseball 101 type section here. Um, So we talk college baseball, but you went to junior college. I went to an NAIA school. What are the levels of college baseball?
1: Yep. So, out of Australia, I think, um, there's obviously three options, going to a junior college, going straight to a four year university, um, which is then split up into division one, division two, II, division three, and then like you touched on, going to an NAIA. So junior college obviously being a two year school. Okay. So when you go to a junior college, you're there for a two year program. You get all of your general education classes um, out of the way, which everybody has to take when you get a degree in the US. That's probably a, a big difference that I didn't know. Is when you leave, a, if you go to university in Australia, you pick your pick your degree, get your bachelor's degree, and you start classes from when you get when you go to university. Over there, you have to take all your general education classes. So, like I touched on before, I think the a lot of the, I guess information that kind of gets mis. mis- Interpreted is when you get over there, going straight into taking history and geography and maths and English and science and all of those subjects all over again that you've just taken in high school. They may not interest you, so but it's part of your part of your degree whether you go to junior college or a university. Taking your general education classes as part of it, so going to a junior college allows you to take those general education classes at a cheaper price um, and probably an easier academic level overall. And then once you finish those two years and those general classes, you then will have what's called an associate's degree. So you earn a degree from the junior college, and then you can transfer to a university with that associate's degree. And I mean, the, the end goal being all of those classes you've taken at junior college and the credits that you've earned, then transfer to the university to then start your degree focused classes from the two year along um point of view instead of starting from the start again so instead of starting your bachelor's degree as a as an 18 year old and getting into whether it be i went over to get into primary school teaching and i showed up expecting to learn about being a teacher and things like that i rocked up on the campus on the first day and i was taking science and history and geography and all those classes again that i'd just taken in years nine through year twelve but I kind of looked around and all the American kids and, and asked questions and things like that. And they were like, oh, no, you have to take all those classes all over again before you can move on to your actual degree. I was like, oh, well, that would have been, that would have been great to know before I came over here. Um, and then I got to university and, and ended up changing my major and, and studying sports management. So then when I got to the university, I kind of started all of the sports management focused classes um, for, the, for those last two years.
0: So, we talked earlier on about some of the restrictions that come with practice and playing junior college. I don't even know if there is any, um, and then hence twenty-one innings in a day. Um, how does how do those restrictions scale up uh, across the college levels?
1: Yep. So obviously, like you touched on, junior college baseball. The, the- <laughs> laws and the rules are kind of non-existent, um, It's however long the coach wants to be out there for that day. So some days we would rock up to the field or we would have classes from about 8 to 12, we'd go and grab some lunch, get to the field about one thirty, and then we were kind of having practice from 2 till whenever the coach wanted to be done. Some days it was 4, some days it was 6. It was just dependent on what we were working on that day um, and I think a lot of it depended on sunlight to be honest with you um and then when i got to university it was a lot more structured um we had a piece of paper put up every every day when we got to the field the the daily plan was put up um it was split up into time brackets and things like that because they're only allowed a allotment of hours per week in face-to-face contact with you um obviously in the fall and august to december at a junior college you're just working on everything every day and you're with the coach 24 7. And when you get to a university, they are only allowed a certain amount of hours. So it has to be really structured in what they're working on. And your face-to-face contact, whether it be with your specific position coach or pitching coach or something like that, is very limited. Um, and I think that was probably something I didn't really expect or didn't understand was the the lack of of contact that you have with the coach and being able to just go out and work with them on different things. It's, it's all split up into time barriers and things like that per week. So junior college, a lot more laid back, Um, you're on the field a lot more and university is a lot more structured and and to the point kind of practice sessions.
0: And academically, so if you don't, I would probably support you there that at a junior college the academics aren't, um, they're not always strenuous but you still have to maintain a certain level of academic achievement because if you don't, You become academically ineligible and can't play so Mm -hmm. what sort of from an academic perspective what what is the benchmark there typically
1: yeah obviously to be able to play you have to have over a 2.0 in most schools which is a c grade average so you're still having to maintain at least over a 70 in in all of your classes even to be able to get on the field so then when you, when you talk about trying to get academic scholarship money or, or things on top of that, um, I think being a, a C student when you get over there is kind of the bare minimum. And then obviously we try and work with everybody on, on getting a, as good a grade as you can in every subject. And the, the subjects that you are good at, if you can really excel at them and, and bring your GPA at, uh, then, then different classes that you might struggle a little bit with, if, if your GPA does get brought down, they kind of end up balancing each other out. So, I think it's about really excelling at the the things that you're good at. So then, it kind of with everything evening out across the board, and and the classes holding different weight with with your academics to to factor into your GPA. Um, I think it's just important to have a balance across the board.
0: Now, you talked about uh, obviously you went to junior college and then went to a four year school. So when does the recruitment process begin from four year schools trying to pluck guys out of junior college? That happens pretty early in a lot of instances.
1: Yeah, I think that it obviously starts in your first year as a freshman. If you can get into a program where you're going to play in your first year, um, it shows the universities that how highly you're thought of by the junior college coach, that they can start recruiting you straight away. So I went in um, my fall. I had a good fall, and then I ended up getting a, a – I knew I was going to be a weekend starter at, at junior college. Um So I had my role every Saturday. I knew what time, what day I was pitching and that I just kind of focused my week around that. And then university coaches and recruiting coordinators then will travel to junior college games and watch players that they then want to recruit. Um, And so I think I would say throughout your first kind of spring from February to May, you get on everybody's radar. Um, I had a few calls after my first year about transferring to a university, but I hadn't taken an SAT and hadn't taken the NCAA core courses in high school in Australia, so I wasn't able to transfer to a university after my first year. So I figured that out, obviously, once I had got over there. Um, so it was kind of like, hey, I appreciate I appreciate you reaching out and the interest, um, but I have to go back and get my associate's degree to then be able to transfer to a university with it. So I have to go back to junior college for another year before I can transfer. But let's stay in contact and, and see what happens with my second year and then maybe get re recruited for the year after.
0: The You made it, I just touched on something. You used the expression weekend starter. That's a big deal because the games that are played on the weekends are typically the league games and the ones that count um, or conference games. They're the ones that really count. So it's a, it's a bit of a, you know, in, in four year uh, college, it's the Friday night starter is normally the number one guy. So, you know, landing that up as a freshman. Um, is a big deal and obviously puts you on the ra- the radar of four-year schools. Um, the the bit that is um, interesting as well that you touched on is that a lot of young players will do an SAT before they leave and then SAT can give you some flexibility because if you get a good enough score, you don't always have to complete your associate degree and you obviously were caught out not, not doing that. So um, it's really important for young players to understand the intricacies of the academics to make sure you give yourself As much flexibility as you can.
1: Yeah, hundred percent. And I think the biggest thing is, and what I've kind of been trying to target at the moment is kids before they pick their electives in Australia, and giving them the information around it. There's 16 core courses that you need to take in high school to be able to to be able to be eligible to go straight to a four year university and straight to the NCAA. and I think a lot of kids do get caught out in they've picked their electives and then they get to the end of year 12 and they might have really good grades and they might be at a baseball level to go straight to a four-year school. But because they didn't take the right classes and pick the right electives coming out of year 10 into year 11, they've kind of missed that opportunity. And like you said, they've also missed the opportunity to be able to transfer after after their first year. So. Um, I think the, the process starts at a at a really young age, and I think that a lot of players and, and families alike in Australia kind of don't understand that. And um, being able to pass on that information has been great because you kind of get the feedback of, oh, I didn't know my elective choices coming out of year 10 were going to impact my college baseball future or career, I guess um but they all everything leads into each other and and your your classes from year 9 to year 12 all count towards your gpa for example to go to a four-year university so if you start struggling your year 9 and year 10 academically you're already on the back foot to be able to get into a good college program
0: so we just wanted i wanted to dive into some of the common misconceptions that players and parents have regarding college baseball so do you have any off the top of your head? Because I've certainly got someone like to throw at you. What 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 are some of the biggest, um, I guess, incorrect thoughts that players and parents might have about college baseball that you run into?
1: Um, I think probably the biggest one is that oh, I'll just go to a junior college. It's it's easy. I'll just play. I'll just go play junior college baseball and and rock up, and then I'll get a scholarship to go to university, and everything everything will be sweet. I think that's probably the biggest one is that guys in Australia that don't sign professional contracts, but they're playing at a national championship level, kind of think they're already at a level to play junior college baseball. It's not the case. I rocked up on the first day, and we had guys that were 92 to 94 miles an hour in a little town in Kansas. You know what I mean? That was kind of the level that we walked into uh, at junior college baseball. And when you start looking at states like Arizona and Texas and Florida and things like that, With where baseball is going at the moment and talking from a pitching perspective, obviously is what I was ingrained in. But I think from a velocity standpoint, the, there's guys that are 90 miles an hour as 18 year olds who end up at a junior college because that's where in the option in America. And we've got, we've obviously got players that are at a good level in Australia. And, um, I think a, a misconception is if, if I'm good in Australia, that means I can go and play at a, at a US college or go to a junior college and start straight away. Um, it's definitely not the case and it definitely takes a lot more hard work than I think a lot of people realize even to play junior college baseball, let alone get to the university level. So it's probably a huge misconception that I'm trying to, trying to kind of squash at the moment is the level that you have to be at, um, and that you can't just walk into a program, let alone a scholarship, um, with the limits that they have on that as well.
0: So I want to throw scholarships at you. That's one of my biggest bugbears is like, I'm just going to get a college scholarship and A, they're not really easy to get. B, like at the division one level, I think is, there's 11.3 that they have.
1: Yeah. 11.7 for Uh, the whole roster.
0: Yep. So oftentimes they'll just chop up 11.7 scholarships and, and, allocate that to certain players. Very few people, I, I'm aware of one person who ever got a full-ride scholarship to a Division One school. Um, and oftentimes the program's not that great if they're handing out full-ride scholarships to players. Um, the the other bit around scholarships is you're an international student. So just like our universities here, you almost double it up to cover the cost of that. Um and then there's certain college programs. So I know, like I played in the Pacific Northwest, the junior colleges there didn't hand out scholarships. <clears throat> Division three baseball doesn't hand out scholarships. California, it's hard to get a scholarship. So, you know, obviously things are changing, but they're really hard to get and they rarely cover the whole lot. And in many cases, your parents or the kid are going to have to dip into their pocket to cover a lot of the costs. It's not a cheap exercise. So that's the bit that there's a real misnomer there that I'll get a scholarship and I'll go play college baseball. Yeah, you might get a scholarship. It might cover your books. That's what often gets handed out. So, And and if you're an international student living in the dorms, well, you gotta double that up again as well. So um, it can be a pretty costly exercise. And I think people throw, I'll just get a scholarship and go around a bit flippantly. Like I always kind of say to to young players, "You, you might have to eat the cost the first year and then if you show enough like you as your experience um then all of a sudden there there may be a willingness to hand some money over to you but the other um the other crazy thing as well is you can get a scholarship and the coach can take it off you and you know you're not guaranteed to have that the whole way through so i'm sure you run into that um as well have i missed anything there or what's what what, what's your experience with on that front yeah it's a
1: pretty good takeaway i think there's. There's a lot of different things that are involved with it. Um you touched on it. Your scholarship is good for for the year, um but you have to perform both on the field and in the classroom to be able to then keep your scholarship for the next year. Um I think yeah, like you touched on the the cost side of things and what what is kind of covered throughout that scholarship. The, being an international student is a big part of it. It's almost double per credit hour for us to be able to go to school um both junior college Junior colleges are cheaper than going to a university, but it's still a big cost per credit hour that you have to take to ultimately get a degree. So when you look at it from, a, you have to take you have to take sixty credit hours to to be able to get your associate's degree at a junior college, and there's a cost associated per credit hour throughout the two years. If you're not receiving a scholarship, that's coming out of your own pocket, and a lot of so um, a lot of people in Australia that go to universities here may, may hex it or, or may put off that um, kind of payment, I would say, until they are finished their degree and then they start paying it back when they get a job. It's not like that in the US. Everybody's taking out loans or they have college funds from a young age to be able to offset costs. Or from an international standpoint, not only do you have to pay per credit hour, but even to enroll in the school you have to prove that you can afford the funds to be able to attend for the next two years. So from the get-go, you have to show uh, an approval of funds in, in a bank account even to be able to get enrolled into the school to cover those international costs. So I think, like you said, uh, like you touched on, 11.7 scholarships at, at the university level. When you have a 40-man roster, 11.7 scholarships doesn't get you very far. So the, the better off that... And I think one of the misconceptions is the the academic side of things and the baseball side of things. And I think that a lot of people don't understand is they have a, a set aside scholarship amount for baseball, but the university has a set amount of scholarship money for academics. And you can pair the two together. And that's the way that most athletes will be able to offset the cost of college is by combining their academics and the baseball scholarship that they get to get an ultimate a huge, huge goal is what we're trying to do to offset the cost of of going to school. So yes, from a baseball perspective and from a baseball scholarship perspective, I haven't I don't hear very much at all of 100% offers. There's still costs associated with it. Um it's normally split up into three categories of tuition, your meals, and then your accommodation, so your dorms. So the scholarship will cover any amount of that. Um and then you you are up for that the parents parents are up for the for the rest of that cost per semester and Mm -hmm. and it's up front yeah it is a deadline school school starts in august and the deadline to have it paid is september you have to pay for the for the semester by that date and then you have to do the same thing again by february so the the constant cost that's associated with going to the us not only then factoring in flights and and living and groceries and all those kind of things, it's an expensive exercise for everybody, whether you have a scholarship or not. And getting a scholarship in the first place is hard enough.
0: It's it's pretty amazing when the exchange rate changes as well. That's uh, they can put mm-hmm. they can put a crimp in things. The other interesting bit around scholarships is, particularly at the Division One level, many colleges over recruit, so they end up bringing in more players than they they can actually put onto a roster, and that. Leads to a lot of chopping and changing, and um, um, that, that's where the scholarship, you're like, oh, you know, I need to allocate it to someone else. So, um, yeah, it's, not, it's a bit of a minefield. Um, the other one um, I suppose I should talk about is the notion of red shirting. Um, I think you mentioned it because you had surgery. What's, what's red
1: shirting? Yeah, so they everybody has four years of eligibility. Um, to be able to to play in college, and this can get offset by a redshirt year, whether it be through an injury or through not making the roster, the coach decides to redshirt you because you're not you're not at a high enough level to to play straight away. Um, you kind of get a year off, I guess, and a year off for um, being in the program and traveling and playing and things like that, and it doesn't affect your four years of eligibility. So. I went to junior college for two years. I then went to transfer to a university. I played my first year and then I had a shoulder reconstruction. So I redshirted for a year. That would have been my fourth year. But because I redshirted, I was then able to go back for uh, my fifth year and still be able to play in my actual fourth year of baseball eligibility. So the coach can choose to redshirt you um, if they don't feel like you're going to be a huge contributor that year. And then also, if you get an injury, they can redshirt you as well to be able to give you another year.
0: I got a, um, a contact who was on a Division One program. He's an American guy, but <clears throat> the coach, he, he was a good player, but he was sort of average. And coach said, oh, I've brought in too many first basemen this year, so you're going to redshirt. <clears throat> and he was a junior, and you kind of don't have a choice. Like, you're okay. And mm-hmm. that's how, not ruthless, but that's how it is. Like we're overstocked in one position. I don't want to burn up all your eligibility. You're probably not going to play very much. So just take this year off. And it's pretty confronting where you're like, oh, okay, well, what do I do for you? He could have left, but you've got to start again somewhere else. And yeah, it's, it's not always, not everything's under your control. That's the, um, that's the other interesting bit as well. Like I've run into young players playing college baseball and they might have a bad game. And, and it's not like you play every day where they're like we have a bad game get it again tomorrow you, you you might go for four and just get benched and it's sometimes hard to get back out there so i think that's the other bit that um probably grabs people's or it's it's sort of a known unknown you you go into college and and you don't realize that that's how it's going to be and and it's hard particularly you know baseball like you get better by playing um you know you have a bad game and then you get yet parked it it can be pretty tough to adjust to that so that's another thing that we're kind of trying to make people aware of when you're heading there
1: and i think it's i think you raise a good point because going back to misconceptions going back to misconceptions one of the big one that is that's going around at the moment is like you said guys are I think with with COVID, everybody got a, an additional year of, of eligibility. So with COVID, everybody essentially got a redshirt year. So every every player was coming back to their rosters, but they also had an incoming class of high school players that they'd already recruited. So now the roster sizes were, were massive and players did start transferring. Um, they now have a transfer portal. You can, you can leave your school and enter into a transfer portal and then different programs can pick you up out of the transfer portal. But... I guess kind of a misconception is, I'll just go and play college baseball and get recruited and things like that. Well, at the moment, last week when I was having a look through, there was over 2,100 players in that transfer portal that were leaving programs and were able to get picked up by other coaches. So for our players in Australia who cannot get over to the US at the moment, they're being recruited off a video clip and some emails. If you're a college baseball coach in the U.S. and you have two thousand one hundred players to pick from that have been at Division One level, or you're recruiting a player off the internet and a video from Australia, at the end of the day, it's not a it's it's a pretty easy choice of which one you're going to go with. Mm. So it fact it factors into the opportunities that Australians are getting, the scholarship offers that we're receiving, and things like that. And like I speak with college coaches all the time, and they all have the same response: "Oh, the video looks good, and and I'm interested." But I've also got a kid who's leaving the Division One program down the road who's in the transfer portal who I can go watch this weekend and I can go sign him. So I'd love to pick him up, but I'm going to go get an older kid who's leaving a Division One program before I recruit a kid off a, off a video from Australia. Mm. So that's it's another misconception that's going around at the moment. Um, because the opportunities are limited it's just a, it's just the world that we live in at the moment whether it be through COVID or whatever it may be it's it's part of it now is the opportunities aren't there like they used to be um and the scholarship side of things is definitely very limited compared to you know i mean what they were a few years ago when the roster sizes were a little bit lower and things like that but you can, at the end of the day you can't blame the college coaches either but we as australians and players and families and things like that have to understand the predicament that they're in and now if you're receiving a scholarship offer or interest from a school it means even more and you might have to jump at that opportunity instead of delaying or trying to hold out for better offers or whatever it may be now we're getting to a point where that offer might not be there for much longer because they've got two thousand players they can go get from in the transfer portal
0: the um that that was the eye-opening thing so Baseball is one of the big four sports in the US, but it was baseball programs that got shut down at the college level when you know when the um, administration realised we need to cut costs. They cut baseball programs. You didn't hear about many basketball, or football programs, if any, being cut at all. So um, you know it's a sport that costs a lot of money but doesn't make a lot of money. So they're the first ones to go. Um, the other one, I, I, the one that always jumps out at me is. Um, kids who don't want to go to cold weather schools. I don't want to go to the Midwest. I don't want to go to, I want to go to Florida or California or Texas. And that's all well and good, but they're typically really, really strong leagues. And um, A, they're they're hard to get into, but B, you want to go into a program where you're going to get to play. And I'm not suggesting go to a crappy program somewhere where it snows all the time, but trying to identify those programs where there's good coaching um, but you're also getting an opportunity to showcase yourself. That's what leads to the four-year opportunity or the, the the professional opportunity. And I think that's you hear that a lot as well. It's like, oh, I got an offer, but I'm gonna, I want to go somewhere warm. It's like, well, yeah, good luck. It's they're not easy to come by.
1: Yeah, like you said, I think the big three is probably Texas, Arizona, and Florida. And obviously, everybody wants to be there. But at the end of the day, all the Australian, all the Australian guys might want to be over there but so do the u.s kids mm. and they're already there to be able to get recruited in person and go to showcases and get seen by the coaches and go to camps and everything else like that so you might want to be in a warm state but so does the rest of the u.s and so does the rest of canada and and different country dominican republic puerto rico that are all getting recruited as well and at the end of the day like i try and pass on to everybody here you're better off going to a program where you can get uh, a good scholarship and, and play right away instead of sitting on the bench because nobody's getting recruited to a university by sitting on the bench. So at the end of the day, everybody has a picture in their head of where they want to go and things like that, which is great, and we always strive for that. But there also comes a point where if the offers aren't coming in from, from programs that you might be looking at or that you're wanting to go to, well, the next question is, how bad do you really want to go? how bad do you want the opportunity and i got to a point where i knew it was what i wanted to do and i wanted to get over there into a college program and at at sometimes you do have to bite the bullets or or go go to a state that you might not want to be in for a couple of years to then get the opportunity to go to a place that you do want to be for your last two years and that's i think that's part of it part of it as well is like we have guys at the moment with with that i'm working with that have offers coming in and and some of them are Bigger scholarship offers and better opportunities to colder states, for example, or they go to a warmer state on a lesser scholarship and they might be a bullpen arm instead of a starter, for example, and they have to weigh that up. At the end of the day, I try and facilitate as many opportunities as I can with coaches, and at the end of the day, the family and the player then have to decide, well, which one's better for me um, and, and for my development and growth. And I always tell them the same thing nobody's getting recruited sitting in a dugout. So go 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 where go where you're going to play, go where you're going to get to develop, and go where you're going to be able to then get seen by other coaches to move on to better programs or in front of pro scouts or whatever it may be.
0: Well, they do have scholarships for cheerleaders. So if you're not playing, you make sure you're pretty good at waving the towel, so that uh, you might have an option on the uh, on the cheer squad at some major college. Um, this is probably a good segue, and obviously, you've taken up a bit of your time, but it's a good segue into. How does a kid engage with you to kind of open up these opportunities? What what are you looking for or what are you – what? how do they activate the service that Baseball Australia has got in place?
1: Yeah, I think my position, I obviously try and work with, with everybody that I can. So I've started doing presentations with all of the um, state programs. So all of the state pathway programs I've been doing – well, at the moment, it's through Zoom, but I've been doing um, presentations with them. I've, I, I've created – Kind of a college um, information por- portfolio I guess and, and a couple of presentations that go through what it looks like what's the difference between junior college and university that we touched on today um, how do I get recruited um, what 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 it kind of looks like getting over there so I've been doing that with all the state pathway programs now um, since I started last year and and got another one set up for for this week of, of getting in with the with the younger players so I think it's important that they get this information obviously free of charge and, and use it as a tool to be able to then help them as they progress. But if we can, if I can get in and target these guys year nine, year 10 before they pick their electives, they just leave their, they leave the doors open to so much more opportunities. Um, and they can kind of start the process from a younger age. So I obviously work closely with the state high performance managers who are running all these programs. Um, and to be able to work with them, touch base with them, find out the, details about players and things like that, who they feel like is at a, at a high enough level for college and, and things like that. And then you can kind of work individually with the player and the parent from there. Um, we held our national camp in, in April and, and did some stuff there with Josh Spence, who, who obviously Liam's older brother who went to, to college and pitched in the big leagues and things like that. Um, we we both went through that college experience and we were able to pass that on to the guys that were at camp in April. And then off the back of that, I've just been working individually with players um, who are just now, yeah, their, their commitments are starting to come out. But that's been months in the making of behind-the-scenes talks with, with myself, the college coaches, getting them recruited through their video, putting it together their video and then sending it off to coaches and then them telling me which ones they're interested in and then hooking them up with their details to then get on Zoom calls um, with the coaching staff and then work through offers. So it's a, it's a long process, um, but the, the kind of earlier that we can start the information side of things, then when they do get to a level, year 11, year 12, of, okay, what do I do now? I'm at a good level. Then I can kind of help, step in and help wherever I can. Um, past building videos is probably the big thing at the moment. Without being a, to the U.S., our, our videos and what we show on camera means a lot more. Um, so the higher quality, higher quality video and metrics that we can put up to then be able to send off to coaches, the better. Um, at the end of the day, my job is, is made easier by us having better players in Australia. It enables that recruitment process to, to become even quicker. So it's probably the, it's probably a big thing at the moment is yes, I think a lot of people have contacts, but nobody can get you recruited if you aren't at a level to play college baseball. At the end of the day, it takes you and, and, and how hard you work to get to that level. At the moment now, if I pick up a if I pick up the phone and call some coaches of a guy who's eighty eight to ninety, well, they're gonna they're gonna get offers the next day compared to a guy who's 80, 82, for example, who then you kinda have to work with the coaching staff and push for a little bit. So the more the more the players do and the higher level that, that we're able to produce, the more opportunities that are gonna come from it.
0: Last question. Um, and then I'll let you go. Is it still, is Welcome to the Jungle by Guns N' Roses still the optimal song to put over your uh, college recruiting tape or what, what What are the kids doing nowadays music-wise?
1: Oh, we're, try, we're trying to get away from the music side of things but it's a, it's a good question because there was a few of them but yeah, we're trying to get away from the music side of things. There's nothing better than hearing the crack of a bat or the or the sound of the glove pop so we can kind of clear of the songs
0: i think andrew thanks very much for your time it's been really insightful and um you know i think you can be found on the uh, baseball australian website and we'll put a link when we post it to you if uh, young players are interested so thanks very much and uh, once again appreciate it
1: thanks mate appreciate the time